start with the very beginning of the laws of Pesach. This is Simon Tov Chav Tes. This is 429. And this uh, talks about the Minhag Yimei Nisan. These are the traditions for the month of Nisan. Uh, that is a preparation for the Pesach festival. And Ubo Yutasi it has 19 paragraphs, 19 subsections in this chapter. Section 1, Sif Aleph. Chachomim Horishonim Tiknu. Our earlier, sa- earlier sages, they have instituted Bizman Shebeis Amigdosh Hoyokayim during the time that the temple was in existence, that the people who would give uh, sermons, that they should publicly uh, speak the laws of the uh, festival, 30 days before the holidays, they begin to speak of the holidays. The Hainu, that is, so starting from Purim and on, because Purim, of course, is the 14th day of the month. So Purim, starting from Purim, uh, you actually have 30 days. You know, the, the, the 15th of the month is uh, you know, just about 30 days because uh, other is a chaser. It only has 29 days. So if you start, if you count from 15 from the 15th of the month through the uh, 29th, you have how many days? You have 14 days. And then you have from Rosh Chodesh, from Aleph to 15, you have uh, 60, uh, you have enough 15 days. So it's 29 days, actually. So it's almost, it's about 30 days. So, so, they, so that means that from Purim and on, uh, starting from Purim and on, Yidrishu Hilchas Pesach. So they should expound the laws of Pesach then. And then, Umichamisha Be'ir, and from the fifth day of the month of Iyar, uh, that is one month, Yidrishu Hilchas Atzeres. They should expound the laws of Shavuos, because Shavuos is on the sixth day of the month, and uh, Again, uh, the Iyar is also a chaser. It only has, the way it's set up, it only has 29 days. So if you start from the fifth day of Iyar, um, you have through the 29th, uh, you have, no, no, you have actually, uh, from the fifth, you have, you have you have uh, nineteen you have nineteen days, from the fifth, from the fifth oh, through fifth. Oh, you have no, no. Actually, you have fifteen days because from the yeah because you're counting the fifth day as well. The fifth day, from the fifth till the tenth, not including the tenth is five day, right? Five, six, seven, eight, nine is five, yeah. and from the tenth to twenty-nine is ten days. So, okay, so uh, I mean from 10 to, to, to 29. So from 10, so from 10 to 20 is 10 days. And then another tw- from, from 20 through 29 is 10 days. It's not nine days because you're counting yeah, the day. Right. No. no, no, it's nine days. It's like nine days, nine days, nine days. From 20 to 29 is 29 days, right? 20. 20 is the first one of the, of the 20th day, 21. Uh, from 20, 
20, you're counting 20. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's 10 days. From 20 to 20. If you count 20, you have 10 days. Because you start 21 right. to, to the. Like right. you know, yeah, so 10. Right. So, so you have 10. Right. And 10 is 20. So you have 26 days. Because if you start from the fifth day of the year, because 5, no, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, no. So you have 25 days. So exactly 25 days. So you have 25 days. And uh, Shavuos is on the sixth day, so that actually gives you uh, 30 days before the holiday, right? So that'll give you 30 days not including Pesach. So from the fifth day of year, if we say it's a chaser, so you only have really, uh, again, so we're, we're having such a hard time. You have five, the fifth, we're calling five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine. You have twenty-five days exactly, and then you have uh, another five days, which will be thirty days, and that will be one day before uh, before Shavuot, before uh, before Shavuos. Shavuos is on the sixth day. I mean, the way we have it set up by the calendar. Um, but by Pesach it's different because if you count from Purim, actually Purim day as well, so you have Yudalad. So you have from Tezvav, uh, from Tezvav, so Yudalad and Tezvav actually give you two days. Then if you go from 16 to 20, is five days, right? 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 is five days, is seven days. And then you go from 1 to 9, if it's a chaser, other is a chaser, so you go from 1 to 9, so um, you have how many? How much do we have to? Plus the 2. So you have... Um, if you're uh, no. 1 and 9. 9, you well, so you, you have 11 and 5. So 11 and 5 is 16. So you have 16 days from the month of Nisan, and then if you count starting from Aleph, through Yudalit, you only have 14 days. So you have actually 30 days. So you have exactly 30 days before Pesach. So you have exactly 30 days before Pesach. So it works out if we include the day of Purim as well. And then, from the 14th of Elul, Ve'elech, again, from the 14th of Elul, so again, from the, it's also a Choser. It's, uh, Elul is also 29 days. The month before Tishrei. month before Tishrei. So over there too, if you start from the 14th, because starting from the 15th would give you 15 days, because it ends at the 29th, not at the 30th. So starting from the 15th, you have 15 days, plus the 14th, that's 16, and then 14 days of Tishrei from Aleph through Yudalat. So you have exactly 30 days before. So it matches up. So from the fourth in the Vel of Eilach, Yidrushu Hilchas Achag, then you do the laws of the festival, laws of Sukkot. Now, why was it important to start like 30 days beforehand to prepare everybody for the Yontav 30 days before? And why did they have to expound the laws of the holidays? So he says like this, This is during the time of the Beis Hamikdash. Now, we're also counting this right now as if the months are fixed. I'm not sure, you know, in those days the months may have not been fixed. It may have been different, but I guess the counting is according to, to this. I'm not sure because you, you might have an extra day. We're all counting all these months that they only have 29 days the month. So we're sort of sh- short a little bit, but it could be that they had 
you know, so you would have an extra day. So he's, he's giving you like the worst case scenario. So you start off with this, so you have 30 days. So why? Because each one and one who lived in Eretz Yisrael, Chayiv, Lahavi, Beregel, Girmul, Karbanis. During the festival, you have to be three sacrifices. Each person needed to bring, everybody who lived in Israel needed to bring on the festival Gimel Karbanis. You had to bring three sacrifices. We're talking about separate of the temple, the communal sacrifices. We're talking about each individual. Each individual needed to bring three sacrifices. One of them is Oila Sri'iya. Oila, Oila is a carbon which is totally brought on the Mizbeach. And that's called one sacrifice which was brought on the Mizbeach and you didn't have any benefit from it, which means you didn't need any part of it. That's called an Oila foreseeing, just for the privilege of going up to see God and to be seen by God, going up to the temple. That's one, called an Eulah Sudiyah. And is it also called a burnt offering? That is a burnt offering. Oh, it's a burnt so offering. they brought it and then they, they gave it to the Kohen. There is only a certain area they're allowed to go to, so they do the procedure, and then they did the Kohanim did the rest what needs to be done. Then you have also Vishalmi Chagigo and Shalmi Simcha. These are both Shlomim. Shlomim are sacrifices which certain parts, the inner parts, basically the not usable parts uh, for human consumption, is brought on the Mizbech. It's, it's burnt. But the meat part is eaten by the owners, and a section of the meat is given also to the Kohanim, to the priest. But uh, a good, the most of it is eaten by the, by the owners, the ones that bring it. And there were two obligation. There was one called the Shalmei Chagiga. Those were the festive Shlomim that you had to bring. And there was also Shalmei Simcha. There was a Shlomim to bring about Simcha. So these are two separate Karbonos, two separate sacrifices which each one had to bring at every holiday. The same, the same type of animal? The there are qualifications what you can bring as a shlomim, which we're actually learning now in the parsha. What what exactly you can bring as a shlomim, and what you can bring as an oila. Well, this past week, the Shabbos, the right. we talked about the they used the kidney and some parts that they burned. That's what they burned. That's from the shlomim. That's what right. you're learning. Those are the parts that they burnt, and the rest of it was eaten it was by eaten. the. Okay. And then you we have we're going to read in this week's parsha, and then further on. There were certain sections of it that were given to the Kohen, and certain parts were given. And they would bring it out and give it to the people. Right, yeah. So you can bring various, you can bring a sheep, you can bring a goat. Right. There's various different, the Torah allows you what, what you, you can bring. You can bring, bring. For it too. Uh, that's brought as a, um, that is brought as a gift, uh, and, or it's brought somebody who can't afford in, in, in other, other, on other, in other circumstances. But the, the shlomim of the chagiga and the simcha, that's actually meat. That's actually brought a, an animal that is brought. But the Torah doesn't, um, doesn't restrict it. Uh, you can either bring, I mean, I'm talking off the top of my head right, right. now. Not, you know, I hate to say always information without double checking it. Yeah. But uh, that can bring either a bull yeah. or you can bring a, 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 a um, you know, a chatos has to be a female, so but a shlomim could be either. So there, there, there's, there's, there's different restrictions and different things. But these okay. shami chagiga and shami simcha, 
uh, can either bring brought a the large animal, either a a bakar or a sheep or a goat. One of them, either one, you can bring. And, and it's called shalom because it's whole. Every part is. Being Actually, it's whole. called shalom in this case because uh, because it's peace because it brings peace and everybody gets a part of it. So everybody's happy. It's not unlike an ola maybe only goes to Hashem, but there's nothing in there for the coin. He ends up actually the coin would get the skin even from an ola he would get the skin, to but eat? no. To, no. Use to use his parchment, sell it to whatever you know. Yeah. Hide the hide is worth something. Burnt. Worth morning. Worth morning. No, they didn't burn it. No, they, they would. Yeah. So the yeah, the hide was taken off first and that was given to the coin. So what did they slaughter? The mizbech was the courtyard. There was no roof over it. There was no roof. No, no the no. incense was inside. Was in the so mizbech of Nimi. It had a wall around. No, yeah, it had a wall around it. it. But the whole top was. That's open. right. It was in the basically in the courtyard. Okay, so they had the mizbech the, was uh, in the and courtyard. They had the blood would drain down. Where did the blood go? Yeah, so the blood would drain down. They were underneath the mizbech. That place, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll we'll learn all about oh, that. Yeah, okay. Okay. All right, but let's now we're just talking about that there were these different shlomim. Uh, so one was called the Shlomi Chagiga. That was the festive shlomim that one one brings, and one was brought the Shlomi Simcha that you bring uh, the meat. That we learned that the real Simcha at the time of the Beis Hamikdash, in order to fulfill the joy. They had to slaughter this animal for and eat the meat, which was called the Shalmei Simcha. Now, so we're still trying to explain why did they need 30 days so beforehand. Since everybody has to bring the three sacrifices, the whole carbon, each sacrifice, Tzorich Liyis Noki Mikol Mum, needs to be clean of any blemish. And from other items which would disqualify a korban. There is other disqualifications. Uh, uh, an animal that was used as a worshipped or an animal that was used in a uh, way uh, that would render it unfit. There's various different, a stolen one, there's various different other prohibitions besides having a blemish which would disqualify an animal from being used people needed to prepare three animals for themselves to bring one for an oil and two for a shlomim so that's why our sages they instituted so that they should expound about the laws of the festival 30 days beforehand so the reason why they started talking about the festival 30 days beforehand, and I guess people didn't have calendars like today, and not everybody had was connected with the internet, knew exactly which day and what is. They didn't have information so readily available. So they got their information from when the rabbis started teaching the laws. Now that wasn't so much to teach them the laws. They didn't need 30 days to really teach them the laws because it's not that complicated that they needed 30 days but the reason is it was used as a reminder basically they started studying to remind the people they should remember that there's a festival coming up so they should not forget they shouldn't forget to prepare those animals which are fit to bring for a carbon. So it's basically as a reminder. The Yilahem Shuhus Kol Shloishim Yoim. So they have time 30 days. So you need 30 days to go ahead and to be able to find the right carbon for them to use. Now, that seems to be 
logical during the time to remind people because they needed to bring the carbon to prepare. But now that we don't have a base amigdash, we don't have any of the sacrifices, so it seems like there would be no need for the sages to start to expound 30 days beforehand. So he says in subsection uh, B2, number 2, Siv base. He says, This uh, rule, this, uh, the, the instituted, has not been nullified, has not been taken away from the Jewish people even after the destruction of the Temple. Every sage would teach to his students the laws of the festival 30 days beforehand. That basically would mean that a teacher who teaches his students, maybe he teaches throughout the year, he teaches them the laws of tefillin or tzitzis. So when it comes 30 days before the holidays, he switches to the laws of the holidays. And the reason for that is, why did he give him 30 days? Is Kadesha Yubikim Bil so that they should be knowledgeable, they should be expert in the laws of that coming holiday. So they should know their students. So this is to the students. They should know what needs to be done, how and what needs to be done. Now, this was particularly to their students. I guess their students were also sort of leadership and they needed to later on further uh, teach the other people. So the students needed to know uh, what the halachas were. Now, the other people, not the students, am to the general public, over there the tradition was that in the Shabbos that precedes the holiday, whether it's before Pesach, before Shavuos, before Sukkot, on the Shabbos beforehand, they would expound the laws of that festival and the Shabbos that preceded what the, the, the tradition was, Shabbos Zu, that on that Shabbos, all the people would gather from all the villages. In those days, uh, a lot of villages didn't even have a rabbi, didn't have a shul, didn't have a place to go, and they were just living sort of isolated, sort of in their own lives in the different villages. But on the Shabbos that came before the holidays, all the people from all the villages would gather into this city. They would listen the laws of the holiday from the mouth of the sage who would teach it to them. And uh, that's why, that's how they would know the laws. Now, of course, it's kind of hard to imagine how are you going to cover all the laws, especially when you talk about Pesach or you talk about uh, Sukkot, which have a lot of laws, Shavuos, not so much. But uh, how is he going to teach them all the laws in such a short period of time? But probably he reviewed some of the most important ones, some of the things that they were they were worried about, they're going to forget. And based on that tradition, that they continue to lefikoch nogu and that's why the tradition is in these later generations, this is written from the Alter Rebbe by the generations that he is quoting, that this sage, or they call it a sage here, a chacham, or the rabbi, he would expound the laws of the holidays in the Shabbos that precedes the holidays. 
that it was done im enoy erev Pesach that that's provided that it's not on the eve of Pesach because if Pesach yeah. comes out then it's kind of too late you can nothing much that you can do now it doesn't say here what the what they would do uh, if it is erev Pesach but one can conclude that it was done the Shabbos before so then you do the Shabbos it doesn't say here specifically it just says if it's not erev Pesach then they would gather maybe I mean uh, from the omission not saying from him not saying well it was on the Shabbos before maybe in that Shabbos they didn't have a choice they didn't want to do it any other Shabbos and they couldn't do it they didn't do it I don't know maybe the reason why they did it just the Shabbos before is because people would remember because it's right from the Shabbos they could remember and don't forget they didn't have books in those days as we'll see in a minute yeah? the thing is there's so much to, to expound on how could you do it in one day Yeah. so they could only do it just like a little version. and yeah, give them some pointers <laughs> okay Vihilchas now, and the same thing happens, and you know that's why we have there's like a, something called the Shabbos Hagodel Drasha. It's a supposedly the Shabbos, the Shabbos Hagodel, which is the Shabbos before Pesach is called Shabbos Hagodel. And again, that's why besides when Shabbos is out of Pesach, that's why then we don't do that. So uh, which one is it? Is, uh, it, is it the one Shabbos before, right oh, before Pesach? Even if it comes out that yeah, night. it's still called the Shabbos Hagodel. That still doesn't that doesn't, that doesn't change. change. So. We're saying that um, uh, that uh, the 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 sage would would, but now it became more like a, it's, it, it doesn't have any more halachas. We don't, you know, people read no halachas. Shabbos Hagodel Drasha took a different uh, different format. It's uh, not not in a uh, reviewing the halachas mostly the way it's done, but. Now the Hilchos Achag, the laws of the Sukkot of the Sukkot festival, Doirish b'Shabbos Shuba, that you would expound on the Shabbos Shuba. The Shabbos Shuba, that's the Aseris made Shuba, the Shabbos that comes before Sukkot, is called the um, actually Shabbos for Yom Kippur. It's called the Shabbos Shuba. But what if Shabbos is? Sometimes you may have actually a Shabbos. It's interesting. Yom Kippur can come out in the Shabbos before. Yeah, right? yeah. So that you would do Shabbos Shuba would be the Shabbos beforehand. There's always a Shabbos within the ten days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. There has to be a Shabbos because there's seven days. So between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, there's always going to be a Shabbos. There has to be a Shabbos there because one of seven days. Yeah, ten days. Yeah. Well, you can have Yom Kippur can be the Shabbos itself. Yeah. But if Yom Kippur is the Shabbos itself, that means that that is the tenth day. So then you then you know that the third day is going to be also on. The third day is going to be of the Sarasimei Tshuva. Then Rosh Hashanah is going to be Thursday and Friday. You know that. So then Shabbos Tshuva is going to be the Shabbos that follows after Rosh Hashanah. But this is interesting that even though on certain Shabbos, certain years, you have a Shabbos in between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. Yeah. But he doesn't say that you're going to give these drushes are going to be on the Shabbos Tshuva, that's the Shabbos that precedes Yom Kippur, not the Shabbos that precedes Sukkot. He could have said the Shabbos that precedes Sukkot, he doesn't say so, he says you do it on the Shabbos Tshuva, and that seems to be across the board. So apparently, because not every year there is a Shabbos between uh, Yom Kippur and Sukkot, and maybe there is not enough days, even when there is a Shabbos between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, 
there's only a few days, you don't have a full week, so maybe there's not enough time to tell people the law, I'm not sure, but this is what it says here. It says here that the law is a Shabbos Tshuva. That's why we also have a Shabbos Tshuva Russia. Again, the rabbis use that to uh, arouse the people to to repent, to, to, to better their ways, but that's initially, that's what it was set up like. Rabbi, are you saying Shabbos Teshuva? Yeah, or Shabbos Shuva. There's different ways of calling it over but here. It means the same yeah, here it calls it Shabbos Shuva. Yeah, Shuva is the name of the Haftorah. The Haftorah you read is Shuva Yisrael. Oh. Teshuva is part of the name of Sarah's you made Teshuva. So you can either say Shabbos Teshuva or Shabbos Shuva. It's a different, different <laughs> way. Here he uses the language Shabbos Shuva. He uses the language of here, and it's used in both ways. But he says these traditions that were left were left only for Pesach and for Sukkot. Again, on Pesach, we do it in the Shabbos beforehand if it's not uh, Erev Pesach. Almost seems like, again, I'm saying this again because I'm not sure, but it almost seems like if Erev Pesach is Shabbos, then we don't have that, we don't have the tradition. And uh, at all, it doesn't say that you push it up the Shabbos before. And it seems like always Shabbos Teshuva, we're always going to expound the laws of Sukkot. Now, one thing is a little strange because, you know, you're still before Yom Kippur. You almost feel that you should be talking about the laws of Yom Kippur now, right. uh, because you're, the Shabbos Teshuva is between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and there's a lot of laws for Yom Kippur. And here you're saying, "Well, we're going. We're all. Everybody's intensely uh, awaiting the Day of Judgment, Yom Kippur." So and then we're jumping ahead and we're talking about Sukkot. That's what it says here right. that you do the, the laws of Sukkot. You do a Shabbos Teshuva, and but that's the way it says here. But it's a little bit. Um, um, well, but I guess okay now but it says in the parentheses that the, the uh, that tradition did not extend to uh, to Shavuos this, because in the time of the temple we said that it took place um, uh, that it took place 30 days across the board because they needed to bring the korbanos and the rabbis would teach their students but the Shabbos that we're talking about for the public, uh, that only applied to Pesach and Sukkot, but not to Shavuos. But Shavuos doesn't have specific laws. Because it doesn't have any special laws. I mean, we're not talking about blintzes or cheesecakes, but there's no laws that apply to... Um, to 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 sukkahs to to shavuos which don't apply. I'm a pesach for sukkahs, so basically, what you know on pesach, you know on sukkahs. Basically, the laws of pesach and sukkahs that even they would teach them were the unique laws and what's they're different. But the common ground, something they they heard already on pesach, they heard on shavuos. They'll know uh, sukkahs, so we don't need especially for for shavuos. But he says like this: Vayikir. The main thing is. The main thing is to expound and to teach them the ways of Hashem. He's telling you, this drushes that we instituted over here before Pesach, says the main purpose of this goal is to teach people what they need to do. People should know what they need to do, how to do and he says, not the way it's the tradition today. People would come, give a nice drusha, show off how 
uh, they can, I don't mean show off of there, but they would give some really deep thought and have the people thinking and everybody, wow, wonderful, this is great. But that's not the purpose, he says. The purpose of this drasha, of the rabbi, of the chacham, needs to be to teach the people the laws. And I saw also the Rebbe's letters, the Rebbe encouraged, this is also one of the reasons we're really reading a lot of Shulchan Aruch, because the Rebbe says that people should take the time and utilize the time to uh, go through the laws that are applicable and practical so we know in real life you know, what needs to be done. Because there is one thing about studying academically and gaining knowledge that's important also, but the first step is to teach people the laws so they know how to follow the laws. Let's do a uh, next uh, section, section Gimel. Ten more minutes. Next Gimel, section Gimel says, Ubedoiris halolu. He says, in our generations now, he says, The sage doesn't teach his students the laws. It's not like in the olden days in which the uh, tradition came mostly orally. The teacher would tell his students orally the laws, and therefore he needed to have enough time to transmit to them for 30 days the laws. But nowadays the students don't the, the sages don't teach the students because everything is written down already in a book. So he says, therefore, it's no longer the obligation of the sage to teach his student, but it's a mitzvah upon each one. Mitzvah It's a mitzvah is incumbent on each one and one that they should study the laws of the festival before the festival. Now here he doesn't give you a limit. So you start learning the Torah and the festival to the extent, till you become uh, proficient in them, you're knowledgeable, and you will know the, the deed that you need to do. So you need to, each one must study and learn, must learn, learn, on your own. learn on your own and study or learn together, but it means it's not a safe to the students to learn what needs to be done. So now, in section 4, Dalit, Siv Dalit. So now, this was talking about as preparation before the holiday. Uh, whether it was for preparing for a carbon, whether it's for the rabbis teaching their students, whether the rabbi teaching just the general public, and the way it's done today that everybody should be learning from a book and reviewing their, their studies. But in addition to that, he says in Siv Dalit, in section 4, Moshe Rabbeinu Olav HaSholem, Moshe Rabbeinu, peace unto him, Tikkun Lam Yisrael. He instituted for the Jewish people, that the sage in each city, and I guess there was one main sage, I guess, in the city. Um, the cities were not that big, maybe. They had one. But the sage of the city, he would expound to the people of his city, on every festival, he would talk about the matters of the day, which means Neis Hanasaboy Biyayim. He would talk about the miracle that took place about that day. The sage would talk about it. Kigoyin, as for example, the Pesach. He would talk about On Pesach, he would talk about the Exodus of Egypt. So he would talk about the great miracles of Egypt. 
when it came to Shavuos, he would talk about Matan Torah, he would talk about the giving of the Torah. And when it comes to the festival of Sukkot, he would talk about about being surrounded by the clouds of glory. That's why we sit in the Sukkot, because we were protected by the clouds of glory. And this was instituted by Moshe Rabbeinu. So on the holiday itself that we talk about the miracles of that holiday. In addition, one should expound to the people during the festival for the laws that are necessary for that day. The rabbi should sort of tell them about the laws that are necessary for that day. He should tell them those things that are permissible and that are prohibited in that day. So you sort of a reminder on the day itself what you can and cannot do. Hilchas Pesach be Pesach, so the laws of Pesach on Pesach, you know, what you could and can't do. Hilchas Atzeres Batzeres, the laws of Shavuos and Shavuos, I guess the laws of Yontav, you know, what you can do in Yontav, what you can't do in Yontav. Hilchas Chag Bechag, and the laws of the festival of Sukkot during Sukkot. Even though that he has already expounded to them the laws of the festival 30 days before, because we learned in the original, we learned that the the, uh, they'd start teaching the laws 30 days before, not because they needed to tell them the laws, it was mainly to remind them that they should bring the korbanis, but they already told them the laws, but we still do it in addition uh, uh, on the day of the Yontav, you just go over again, you keep on reminding them again. Now, he brings down that Now it's not traditional to expound on the laws on the festival itself, about the laws itself. And again, for the same reason I mentioned before, because everything has already been written down, so people can look it up themselves. But rather, you do the first part that Moshe Rabbeinu instituted, that you expound words of Agoda, of Midrashic, of uh, interpretation of the subject of the day, as will be explained in the Simon 529 over there. Sif Hay. Subsection A. We'll finish with this Sif. One more Sif. Now, he talks about taking care of the people of your city to make sure that they have their needs for Pesach. So he says like this. This has become a very simple custom, which means Simple which means it's without questions. It's become sort of an accepted tradition. Bechol Yisrael, amongst all Jewish people. Shekol kol v'kol, that every community and community, misimim mas al they place a tax on the people of the city, letzoyda chitim lepesach, for the need for wheat for Pesach. Liknoisom, so you should be able to buy the wheat. It's called under wheat. Basically, provide food, the matzah, but over here we call it the wheat because people get the wheat, then they can go ahead and bake it themselves. But to buy wheat for Pesach, so that they should be able to purchase the wheat, and to distribute them to the people of the city. So that is a tradition to have a tax 
on the people of the city so that they can have money to purchase the wheat to in order to distribute it. I guess not the wheat, probably bake it and do what you need to do so that you can have matzah for all the people of the city. Now, who is the people of the city that can be taxed? Who is considered part of the city? So he says, Anyone who lives in the city for 12 months, Nasek then he becomes like the people of the city. And he is obligated to give with the people of the city tax for this purpose. And even students of, uh, of Torah, those students that sit and spend time with Torah, they're considered uh, exempt from usual taxes. They do give their portion. For this tax, they do have to give their portion too. Why? Because this is not a regular tax. Other taxes were used for water, for cleaning, for other things. They're an exempt. They're exempt. But this is a tax which is tzedakah. This is charity. And charity, the Talmidei Chachomim are not exempt from. Okay, did you want to ask something? No. Who is entitled to get uh, from this fund? Who is entitled to get that we need to support them? So he says, Any poor person that lives in the city for 12 months, then he becomes like the poor of the city. And the people of the city are obligated to give him wheat for Pesach. So if you live 12 months in the city, then you become uh, part of the city, and the city is obligated to support you. Now, this would be when normal circumstances, when the Jews weren't so transient, and in this case, for a poor person to have to live in a city in order to receive matzah, he would end up starving. He wouldn't get this matzah because people don't usually live that long in, in places. So he says, Va'achshav. But nowadays, because of the many years in exile, because of the exile that we are in, and people are transient and they're not in one place. So now we change from 12 months to we custom ourselves to use the 30-day measure over here. Now it goes by 30 days. Both in the giving, in the tax, giving the tax, and receiving the tax. So we say like this. Anyone who lives in a city for 30 days, becomes like the people of the city. And we force him to give with the people for the need of wheat on Pesach. So, which means that you get the responsibility to support as soon as you're 30 days in the city. And the same thing is the other on the recipient. A city, a person, a poor person who comes and lives in a city for 30 days, 
he becomes like the poor people of the city. And the people of the city are obligated to give you so you have money to buy wheat for Pesach. And then we're going to learn further on what happens if he's just there temporarily, he's planning to, to stand there. We're going to, if somebody comes and he's planning to move there, then you're obligated right away. So we'll go see the more, more along. We're going to continue now and see Vov with the laws of when you are obligated to participate in the funds to help the poor people for Pesach, to help them with the Moishchitim. So the legal law we learned was 12 months, that is a standard, but because of the exile, we already began the law of 30 days, so that if you are 30 days in a city, you become part of the city, and then you're obligated to participate in that fund. And if you are a poor person who lives for 30 days in the city, then you're entitled to receive from that fund. In Halacha Vav, the Alter Rebbe continues, This all that we're giving a time frame uh, is only if you come to live to the city and you say that you have no intentions, you do not wish to settle over there. But if a person comes to settle in the city, then then he immediately becomes like the people of the city. There is no year, there is no 30 days. And therefore, if you are of means, if you are the kaifin oisoi, and he would be like anybody else in the city, we will force him. I said means as opposed to if he's the poor person that is collecting, so then it's different. But the kaifin we would force him, litaini mohem, to give with the rest of the community, with the rest of the people of the city, the tzoyda chitim Pesach for the needs of the wheat for Pesach. In short, we call it today ma'os chitim, money for chitim. We don't actually uh, do the chitim, or we don't do the flour. What we do is we provide them their meal, we give them the matzahs and the other things. The same is true for a poor person who comes to the city in order to settle in the city. He immediately becomes like one of the people of the poor people of the city. And they are obligated to give him wheat for Pesach. Now, in Aloha Zion, we're going to talk about, but what happens to a poor person who doesn't qualify? He doesn't qualify. He's not planning to live there. He's not there for 30 days. So what should he do? I mean, what, what is the obligation? Here we're saying that you don't have to give him the wheat, but what is the general obligation? So he says in Halacha Zayin, that a poor person who has no intention to settle in the city, and he hadn't lived there for 30 days, and therefore he is not entitled to that special fund that they're going to distribute him as the chitim for Pesach. 
So af al pi shein b'nei ha'ir chayovin liten loichitim. Although the people of the city are not obligated to provide for him the wheat, mikol mokoyim chayovin liten loi matzah bePesach. They are nevertheless still obligated to give him matzah Pesach kiderech she chayovin liten loi pas mikol yimayis hashana. Just as they're obligated to give him bread during the year, you still must give him bread enough for mozin shtei sudes, enough food for two meals. For every day and day from the weekday that he is staying in the city, and on Shabbos mozin sholish sudes, you have to give him the food. For three meals. On Shabbos, you give him three meals. As it's written in the Yeridea in the section 256, looking over there. So here you see that this, that you're giving him the wheat that's extra, that is more than just the minimum of the two meals per day. But the two meals per day. And the three meals on Shabbos, you have to give it to him anyways. Uh, now, Yontiv seems he would still be getting two meals only because the mitzvah of Suda Shlishit is basically on Shabbos, not on Yontiv. And that's why he's saying, but during the festival of, Sukh, of Pesach, there is going to be a Shabbos one day, it's seven days, so there's or eight days in the so there's gonna be a Shabbos over there. So you are going to have to at least provide for him for that Shabbos three meals and for the weekday Yontif, you have to give him the two meals. I mean we're talking about even Yontif. But the funds that they collect is for a lot more than just that, to make a whole Seder and the, there's a famous story about the famous story about a great rabbi who once had a person come to him and ask him a question whether you can make Kiddush on milk, he wanted to know. And uh, when the rabbi heard that question, uh, he took out a, a large amount of money and he, uh, and he gave it to him. And the students saw that the rabbi gave him such a large amount of money so they asked the rabbi, well, it doesn't cost, wine doesn't cost that much. Why did you give him so much money just when he needs wine? He wants to do it. And the rabbi said, because he has, if he can make it a milk, he probably doesn't have any meat either. <laughs> so the rabbi understood that he has to do it. Okay. Halacha ches, or sif ches. So now we uh, took care of that part of it, of the part which is the um, part of um, giving, making sure that we provide for others. So the Alter Rebbe continues now in Halacha Ches in Sif Ches. It is the tradition in our country, in our countries, in our country. Meaning, this is a difference between sometimes Ashkenaz and Sfarad or other, but he says in our countries. Again, that's not the words of the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe isn't referring, he's not the one, he's quoting the earlier quote codifiers who go by this tradition. I believe that that's the uh, language that it takes place in the 
um, in the in the earlier commentaries. So he says that the custom is Shabichol Chodesh Nisan during the entire month of Nisan, Ein Omrim Tachanun. We don't say the Tachanun at all. Also, that is essentially part of Tachanun by us. Uh, the Vuhurachum is the piece that we say on Monday and Thursday. Those are special designs. Those are like slichos for Monday and Thursday. We say those pieces that's called the Vuhurachum. But it goes together. We don't say that on Mondays and Thursday. But Tachanun, we don't say any of the days, and on Mondays or Thursday, we don't say Divorachim. Basically, when we don't say Tachna, we don't say, don't say Vubeze. The same thing is, uh, There is a Yihirotzin that may be Hashem's will that follows the Torah reading. In the Chabad shuls, you won't see that, see that because we don't say that. But in other shuls, they do a special prayer in which we pray for all Jewish people who may be found in troubles, and, and we say, Yeratzin that Hashem, and there's several prayers over there which includes Hashem's blessings for people that are in need, the people that are in trouble. We make a Mishaberach for the sick and sometimes by the end of the Torah reading, but there is an extra or standard prayer. But we don't do it when we don't say Tachman, so we don't say the Yeratzin. Any time when we don't want to feel like upset when it's sort of a holidays, we don't want to talk about things that are disturbing and things that are no good. We only want to talk about good things. So therefore, you don't say the Yerotzen that follows Klirisa Torah. And then the same thing goes, After the Mincha prayer on Shabbos, there is also a special prayer in which we say, but we don't say that when there is no Tachanun said. So uh, after Mincha, before we say Kaddish, if we, now on Shabbos we don't say Tachanun anyways, but if it's a day of the month or it's a time of the year in which Tachanun would not have been said had it not been Shabbos, then we're not going to say the prayer Tzitkoscha, Tzitkoscha, Tzitkoscha. It's called Tzitkoscha, 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 because these are the three verses that the, it's made out of three passages. The first one begins with Tzitkoscha, then Vitzitkoscha, then Tzitkoscha. So we don't say that on uh, month of Nisan, since we don't say Tachanun, we don't say that prayer after Mincha. You would say the Kaddish Sholem immediately following the Chazara after the uh, repetition of the Shliach Tzibur. That the Mincha B'Shabbos, we don't say that. Now he says, Ve'ein maskirin nishomis klal. And we don't mention souls at all. You know, people do a keel mole rachamim, they do a haskore, they uh, mention the deceased, you know, uh, it's also an upsetting, uh, he says we don't do it the Askaras uh, Nisham is to mention the souls that have departed. It's like a Yisker, like a Yisker, we don't do that. And he adds also in the parentheses, uh, We also don't say of Harachamim. Of Harachamim is the prayer which comes by Mus of Shabbos. After we finish, we say Yukon Porkons, you say to the Yukon Porkons. If you're in Shul, you say two. If you're davening alone, you only say one. Because one talks about generally, the second one talks about blessing for the rest of the community. You only do it when you're in the community. Then you have the Mishaberach, you know. And then if it's a 
when you bless the next month, you do the blessing of the of the month over here. But then after that, you do avarachamim. Avarachamim is a prayer to remember those who have passed on, and Hashem should avenge for their for the chassidim for all the people who. But it's also considered to be a sort of a prayer that we don't want to say when we don't say tachanon. So therefore, on um, on uh, the month of Nisan, when we don't say tachanon, we're not going to say that either. Yeah, Kaddish, because Kaddish is not really any mourning in there, so Kaddish you'll say anyways. No, but for the mourners, they say. Yeah, but, the, but they, mourners say Kaddish, but mourners, but in the Kaddish itself, there's nothing about mourning over there. The, the, the text of the Kaddish is not, is, not, is not mourning. That's an interesting observation also. It seems maybe, you know, the, none, nothing of the Kaddish has anything about the, the seas, because maybe if it did have, you couldn't say it on Shabbos and Yontif, you know, if it would have, then you would have to interrupt. But besides, this, there's other reasons. Okay, now, um, he says, There's an exception on the last day of Pesach, because we all knew that we do Yisker on the last day of Pesach. So we're talking here about the whole entire month, and which includes every Shabbos and every day of Yontif. But the exception is Achren Shal Pesach, the last day of Pesach, in which we do Yisker. And when we do Yisker, we're actually going to say over Rachamim as well. That does not apply to, that does not apply to the other things. We just apply to Yisker, and just applies to the Achshel Pesach. I... I'm not sure when it says we don't mask your neshamas at all, what he mentioned before. I said it meant the kel molerachamim. But perhaps some people said yiskor. I'm not sure. It could be. It almost sounds like it's a similar yiskor, what we do during Pesach. Uh, maybe some people had a tradition to say yiskor, you know, on a Shabbos or something like that. Maybe it's not just or also and including the kel molerachamim and the... Uh, not not exactly sure, but anything of those things that are meant to remember the deceased, which is something which uh, causes a person to maybe not rejoice as much, is something that should be avoided during the month of Nisan. Now, further he says, V'ein Imrim Tzodek Hadin. Tzodek Hadin is actually justification of the judgment. When a person passes away, when on a, on a funeral the family say what's called the Tzodek Hadin. That is, they are accepting upon Hashem's judgment, which basically in that prayer, you also have the words that God has given, God has taken, let His name, let His blessed name be blessed. May the name of Hashem be blessed. So uh, this uh, Tzodek Hadin and the Kaddish that follows, uh, we don't say that... Um, uh, uh, during the month of Nisan. Now, the Tzodik Adin, the way we know it is we do it at the funeral, we do it at the cemetery. But once a, if a great rabbi, a great leader passes away, there's also a tradition to say the Tzodik Adin. That's basically accepting Hashem's judgment. Because, you know, sometimes people may have a feeling of wanting to uh, reject maybe Hashem because, you know, he did such a thing, taking away such a person. And, Thank you. Bless you. But the the idea is here is to accept some judgment. But that's something that we don't do, and we don't say Kaddish. Uh, that Kaddish that follows the Tzaddik Adin, we don't do that. And this would imply apply even Afilu Hoya Hameis Talmud Chacham Muflog V'Gadol Hadir. Even if we're talking about an outstanding scholar who was a great 
leader, a great of the generation, something really uh, unique and special, sage. Still, we would not say the Tzadik Adin the Kaddish because even though it would seem that out of respect for the uh, great greatness of this individual, maybe one should say Tzadik Adin, but he says no, there's no difference and we're not going to say the Tzadik Adin. But what you could do, Elo Dershin Olov, you can say a drasha, you can give a, a, a sermon, a speak of him, it's like a eulogy kind of a thing. And um, then you also, and then you would say Kaddish after you finish the drasha, you can say the Kaddish. When he speaks words of Torah, then you can say Kaddish. And that would be allowed, Imhu Talmud Chochem, if he's a scholar. Because even to go ahead and make a eulogy or to talk about the greatness of the individual and to expound upon it is also not something that is appropriate to do unless he is a sage. It has to be a sage. In the month of Nisan. In the month of Nisan. We're talking about, we don't, you don't have to be an outstanding scholar. As long as you're a Tamachacham, you're a scholar, you could speak of him, you could make a eulogy and say the Kaddish afterwards. But if he is not a sage, uh, we don't do any drasha for him. And you don't eulogize for him. So you don't talk, you don't make a eulogy. Because we don't make eulogies in the older month. A eulogy is also something which causes a person to get emotionally sort of involved. We don't do that during the month of Nisan. And only because you don't, only to a sage in front of him, which means prior to his burial. After his burial, no. So a sage that is in front of you, I mean, I would also imagine that if he's in another city or you can't do it, but a sage in front of you, I guess, out of, even if he's not an outstanding, I guess out of respect for the sage, you're allowed to do a eulogy for him and um, go ahead and um, in the month of Nisan. But um, before, that's all before the burial. Uh, but the... Um, the... Um, The other prayers like Tzadik uh, Adin and the Kaddish, that you're not going to do anyways. You're going to make a eulogy. Now, in the Chabad tradition, it's interesting. Again, I didn't look up the sources now, but, you know, we, we still have, like on Friday, when there's a funeral on Friday afternoon, or there's a funeral on some other day on Rosh Chodesh, or a funeral on some other day that we don't do Tachanun, also, we should not do any eulogies. We don't do eulogies on days we don't do Tachanun, just like we see here that we don't do it in the month of Nisan. We don't do eulogies. In the Chabad tradition, it seems like we don't do eulogies at all and not to do much eulogies. It's not a practice, except to practice to do eulogies at all. Um, the, a eulogy really, uh, it's not something that you want to really exaggerate or that you want to say things that are not true, because once the soul has parted from this world, so all the um, 
you know, all the uh, things we're involved in this world with all the show and make-believe and pretend and exaggeration is not beneficial to the departed because once you're in the world of truth, all these things is actually making fun of him. If saying something about somebody whenever, when it's not the truth is something which is not really proper. So you've got to find really things to say which are true, which are, you know, and the truth is that you can always find uh, positive to say. You have any person, you look, there's positive in everyone, and it's just a matter of what you choose to focus on. <coughs> you can focus a person's positive, uh, and you focus a person's negative. Uh, uh, the, uh, but the point there is, it also seems like since there would be a difference if a Tamad Chacham or not a Tamad Chacham went to say it, it's just easier. Don't say no eulogy for anybody. Then you don't have to offend anybody. That's the Chabad tradition, anyways. But then we just wanted that. Yeah. Sarah's mother's first yurt site. I remember Rabbi Harwitz was remembering beautiful things about Sarah's yeah. mother. So was that okay? Well, uh, I, I'm talking mostly about at the funeral itself. I'm just saying that, is whether he's a, whether he's a very religious and, and well-learned person, he's really no different than the person that's who's right. not well That's exactly. right, exactly. Today, who knows, who knows, that's exactly right. That's the point. And um, I'm also hoping that what Rabbi Harwood said is probably true. Oh, yeah. So there's not a problem. Oh, no. <laughs> so, you know, I'm saying, so it's, uh, so it's probably true. That's the point. You know, the why, point? why do you put eulogize one person more so than another? That's why we're all in a white shroud, we're all equal. And you know that in the, uh, in the cemetery itself, it says that the tombstone should be blending in with all the other tombstones. You're not, a, you're not supposed to have your tombstone saying things, exaggerating, bigger, or, bigger or better or anybody else, because it's actually it's not there. So, like I mean, people... Black, yeah, but people are... Uh, are sometimes get caught up with, you know, with various... Okay, we'll go a bit further... Um, another halacha, halacha tes in sif tes, the ein misanin bechol chodesh nisan. You don't do any fast on the month of nisan. People have different fasts where they would fast. We'll see. Sometimes people fast for atonement. You know, there are certain fasts that people. Sometimes people fast. It's a day of passing of their parents. Sometimes people fast because they're getting married. There's very different fasts. So he says. Uh, we'll see in a minute, there is exception to it. But during the month, as a general rule, besides the exceptions, this entire month, we don't fast on this month. It's just like you don't fast on a Shabbos and a Yontav. It's considered to be a semi Shabbos, Yontav, holidays. The month of Nisan is a semi-holiday. We don't say Tachnon. And it's like a one-month-whole long holiday. And we don't fa- fast on the whole month of Nisan. And this would be Afilu Tainus Yochit. Sometimes there is, uh, there's no rain, they would declare a fast. Sometimes, I mean, I'm not sure about Pesach time, sometimes there's another problem, the basin declares a fast day. So that's called a fast of a community. So that, of course, we don't do on the month of Nisan. But even an individual fast, a person wants to fast for his own, like I mentioned before, for various personal reasons that he wants to fast. You don't, I feel the tainus yochit. It goes without saying, that we're not going to decree, we're not going to make a fast day for the entire community. Sometimes the rabbis declare a time of fasting. Don't declare a fast day on the month of Nisan. So he says, though, all these 
things that we mentioned about not saying tachanun and not fasting and doing the tzaddik hadin, all these kadar. He says, hadin. They are not strictly law because the law doesn't prohibit that. It's eno Elohim minhag. This is only a tradition, it's a custom. That it was accustomed in the later generations. So he's clarifying that it's not a law, but rather it's a tradition that the later generations have accepted upon themselves. As we'll see, and that's why there are some exceptions, uh, he's going to uh, make give you in the next seif, uh, in the next section, he's going to tell you, so what difference does it make to us if it's a tradition or it's from halacha? We're going to see there is, there is a practical difference, whether it's a restrict halacha or it's only a tradition with regards to a, uh, a certain halacha, as we'll see in, in, in the next seif. Now, he says, why was this tradition implemented. Why did we make this tradition of not fasting? What, what, what's, what's about the first day of Nisan, the second day of Nisan? Why is it a holiday? Why Why not say Tachnu? What happened then? So he says like this, They relied on the statement that our sages have said, as but on the first day of Nisan, the leaders of the tribes, they began to bring their offering to dedicate the Mizbeach. The first opening, the first sacrifices on the Mizbeach came from the leaders of the tribes. And the way they did it, the Torah tells them, Hashem says to Moshe, Nasi echod it should be one Nasi, one leader per day. So you started off with the first leader, the second leader, every day, starting from the first day of Nisan, and going on. Ad Yud Gimel Nisan. It was 12 tribes that brought it. So up to the 13th of Nisan, everybody brought their sacrifices. Now, what happens on the day that the leader brought his his sacrifice. So every leader on that day that he brought his offering, that was his personal festival because he had the privilege to start for the double. So each leader had their festival. But the Erev Pesach, oh, actually, so this took place for the 13 tribes. For the 13, starting from the first. Uh, and there was 13 tribes that took place in it. Um, actually, there's only 12 tribes. There's no 13 tribes. There's only 12 tribes. Uh, so that's wrong. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no yeah, but the, 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 uh, the Shevet Levi wasn't in there. So they weren't part of this. So there's only 12 tribes. But uh, the thing is, we're going to see in a minute, he's going to explain what happened to the 13th day. So now, so up till the 13th, but not including the 13th. So we have 12 days, and then we have one day blank. Now, let's go to Erev Pesach. Let's jump over one day and go to the 14th of Nisan. Erev Pesach, who yont of the Chol Yisrael. That becomes like a festival for all Jews. Why? Shoyim akrivim Pesach, Because they would bring the Pesach, and then they would bring the Pesach. So, So really, the only day between 
the twelfth day we had korbanos. The thirteenth day is clean, is empty, and the fourteenth day is ready of Pesach. So everybody brings a korban. There was no yontav, and there was no yontav. At least one of the tribes had a yontav every day, and over here we have one day that is empty. Following that, after Pesach comes around, you have eight days of Pesach. Pesach, the eight days of Pesach, right? At least in the diaspora, which we have eight days for Pesach, so we have eight days Pesach. Heim yomim so the yomtiv. So now we have most of the holiday up to Chav Gimel, right? Tezvav, Tezayin, Yudzayin, Yudches, Yudtes, Chav, Chav Aleph, and Chav Beis. So Chav Beis is already still Pesach. So it's Achish Pesach. So all these days in Yom Tevim, they're all Yom Tev. So now we have most of the month now being holy. That's why the tradition is to make it all like holy, like a Yom Tev. We have most days Yom Tev. You have there, you have one day in the middle, and then you have the majority of the month. So we don't. Uh, uh, we, we keep the whole month like this. Now, it would almost seem like uh, what happens, we needed at least to be consistent. Why did we have to have a special reason that there's only one day empty over here? Uh, you know, he doesn't say that, but he says one day is empty. So you have one day empty, and then you have what's left over from Chav Gimel to the end. So you have most of the month, no Tachanan, we turn the whole month in. Okay. Now, there is a, uh, something which is called Yom Kippur cotton, Yom, small Yom Kippur. That is observed every Erev Rosh Chodesh. And a lot of shuls do it. Uh, they have a slichos and they have a fast day and they have something which is considered to be like a Yom Kippur, a small Yom Kippur. It's with, with prayers and, and fasting. But even on Erev Rosh Chodesh Ir, which is part of the month of Nisan, we don't fast. We don't even fast that. So, means that's how strict it is. Even though that's a regular fast day all year round, and even though there is no special day for that, there's no special holiday for that day, it's only because of the majority of the month, but the tradition also goes to that. It says, Vafilu Tainis Yoim even a fast for a yard we don't fast the whole month, even for a yard site, you don't fast. But you do fast. When? The day before. Okay, very the good. One. The firstborn. Yeah. The fast of the firstborn. That's an exception. Well, okay, we're going to talk with that. Okay. So that's, that's a very good point. Uh, we do have something that overrides it. That's why it has to do with the tradition. So now we say, we'll get to that fast, the fast of the Bukharim. So he says, He says, also the tradition is that a chosen and a kala on the day of their marriage, they have the tradition to fast even on the first day of Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Not only on the month of Nisan, but even on Rosh Chodesh Nisan they fast. So, 
Chosn Kala's fast day is, is unique in its importance. A Yorzeit, no. But a Chosn Kala on the day of the Chupa, yeah. And that would even apply to Rosh Chodesh Nisa. Um, so now, uh, just in, 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 in Sif Yud, um, he's going to say, because... The I just just briefly a tiny for tzaddikim is also the exception. This is the um, the the reason uh, most of the people, the firstborn, actually have a tradition to participate in a siyum and not to fast on erev Pesach. There is also other problems with fasting on erev Pesach because of going into the Yom Tov while you're starved. So. There is other issues that so um, the fast of uh, the firstborn was done in the earlier days that came. So if you noticed that whatever took place beforehand, this custom did not come to uproot it. So if there was a tiniest bechoris that was set for the firstborn that was said already. So this custom is not going to take away from a custom that's already been. But things that are happening now, in other words, you want to fast, your father passed away now, you want to fast, you're getting married now, you want to, you want to do, you want to, there's a problem now, you want to make a fast day. The community wants to make a fast day. For things that are happening now, we don't, we don't allow that. But whatever has been already instituted from before, like the fast of the firstborn, and we're going to see with Miriam how that changed around, you know, we'll, we're going to see that in a separate section. So that was already established from before. So our minhag wasn't going to come, this tradition is not going to uproot. Had it been a halacha, you would have been right, then the halacha, they couldn't make such a halacha because uh, that would be going against what we know, that we already had a fast day that was already instituted that way. But a tradition is okay. So the tradition is we're not going to start anything new that has not been there before. But now let's just do one more halach over here. He says like this. Now this is the practical application that uh, because this prohibition of fasting during this entire month of course we're not talking about Exceptions, Shabbos, Yom Tov, you're not allowed to fast anyways, independent which month it is. But the whole month, besides Shabbos and Yom Tov, and Rosh Chodesh, and Chodesh Shalmoyed, and Rosh Chodesh, and also in the intermediaries days. Those, this prohibition of fasting in these days is It's only because of a tradition. There is no inherent uh, halacha against fasting on Rosh Chodesh, against fasting on Cholamoyed, against fasting on any of the other weekdays, only but of tradition. So now, one who fasts a fast for a dream. There is an exceptional fast day which is called the Tainis Cholam, which is more severe. If a person should have a dream about... Uh, Sefer Torahs being burnt, things like that would require a person, we don't even like to verbalize this or talk about it because you might think about it, you might have such a dream. But if you have a dream 
about things that are uh, not 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 proper, and you're really worried about it. There's such an intensity in the worry that people worry about that dream that the Chachamim made an exception. Even in Shabbos and Yontav, which halachically you prohibited from fasting because you must enjoy the Shabbos, you must enjoy the Yontav. But if you have a dream, you're going to be so distressed and you're going to be so upset. The Chachamim said, okay, go ahead and fast, even on Shabbos and Yontav. What happens normally when the Chachamim allow a person to fast in Shabbos and Yontav? Later on, you have to make up to fast because you fasted on Shabbos and Yontav. Okay, we let you fast, but here the makeup is from the same thing what you did wrong. You fast, you did wrong for fasting, even though you had to do it, you're going to have to fast again because you fasted on Shabbos and Yontav. But if one should fast on any of these days mentioned before, Shabbos, Yontav, Rishchodesh, Choshemoid, of the month of Nisan, then you will not have to make up a fast because you didn't really violate a halacha. All what you did is you violated a tradition. And for violating a tradition, you didn't violate. We allow you. We allow you to fast. But we're just saying you have to make it up. But in this case, you don't have to make it up. If one should fast during the month of Nisan in those days, which he should not fast, which are only based on tradition. And he specified the, all the days that are tradition. With the exception of Shabbos and Yontav, everything else on the month of Nisan, including Rosh Chodesh, including Chodesh Hamoyed, are all tradition-based. And therefore, uh, if you're going to fast the Tainus Cholom, and we're going to allow you to fast the Tainus Cholom, why? Shafilu b'Shabbos v'Yontav mutulisayinus Tainus Cholom. Even on Shabbos and Yontav, Europe permitted to fast, a fast for a dream. As written in the Simen Reish Peiches. He does not need to sit in fasting in the month of Ir so that he should be atoned for that what is he sinned the fact that he dreamed that he fasted for a dream in the month of Nisan. You don't have to make up. As one would need to do one who fasts a Tainus Cholom, either on Shabbos and Yontav, and a regular Rosh Chodesh. And B'cholosh HaMoyed, and a regular B'cholosh HaMoyed. If one should fast, not the Rosh Chodesh of Nisan, and the Cholamoyed of Nisan, is only a Minhag. But in this case, he would have to fast if one would fast at Tainus Cholom. A Shabbos Yontav Rishchodin Chol Shemoyed. Over there, he would be required. Shutzorich Leishev B'Tainis Al Tanisoy. He has to sit a fast for his fast day. And over here, it seems like right the next month because he says he doesn't have to stay the next month. Kamoish Yisboer Kamoish Tov Yudches, as was explained in Simon Tov Yudches. Now. It seems like, I'm not sure, that it, and on one hand, I'm not sure why, i got to look this up, it seems like the Rosh Chodesh, now Rosh Chodesh you mentioned before, and the Cholamoyed 
of the month of Nisan is less than the Cholamoyed and the Rosh Chodesh Cholamoyed, let's say, of Sukkot. And Cholamoyed of Sukkot, it says he would have to fast. It would seem like he would have to fast. The prohibition against doing a fast day on Cholamoyed Sukkot appears here to be from the Torah. Uh, Rosh Chodesh of, of the other month seems to be, no, not Torah, I mean from Halacha. And Rosh Chodesh, because Rosh Chodesh Nisan has a separate rule. I have to look that up, but we'll see if Yud Aleph. Now, we're talking about various traditions. Traditions are hard to uh, sort of question uh, why exactly. This was the tradition, and uh, once it is a tradition, sort of it takes the status of Halacha, because that has become the tradition. So, um, it seems like Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the first day of Nisan, there is some tradition to make it into a fast for Tzadikim on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. And we know, again, let's just, I didn't look it up now, so I'm just saying from, you know, from my thought, but I'm not sure if it's accurate, but we know that on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the two sons of Aaron passed away. They were great tzaddikim. Uh, the yes, the Shmini talks of in the Shmini parsha, right? Yeah, and then later on in Achrimos, it refers to it also to their to the passing away. So we know that Nadav and Avihu were great tzaddikim. So that happened on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, and some people have a tradition specifically on Rosh Chodesh Nisan to fast Misa tzaddikim. Uh, that would answer also what we were learning. We were wondering in Sif Yud why Ru- he says about Rosh Chodesh Nisan that it's only a tradition as opposed to saying earlier that Rosh Chodesh uh, is actually by law prohibited. Isr Tainis by law. Because Rosh Chodesh Nisan is unique because that was some people have it set up for a fast for Tzadikim, notwithstanding that it is Rosh Chodesh. So I guess that is a different... i got to look this all up. I'm not sure, you know, offhand. But we also had the question about Chol Moed. We, we weren't sure why the intermediate days, the intermediary days. We weren't sure about that. But here we're talking about an alocha in Sif Aleph. We're talking about Mishe Isane Tanis Cholom B'Shabbos Shebechodesh Nisan. A person who has a dream and there are certain dreams, as I said, yeah. uh, in which one fasts. Yeah. Now, a fasting for a dream is considered to be of great importance to a person because a person who had that dream, and if you won't allow him to fast, he'll be very disturbed. He, he needs to fast to make up for the dream. The Chachamim, the sages, made an allowance even though on Shabbos and Yontav, you're not allowed to fast on Shabbos and Yontav, but because this is considered to be such a disturbance from the person, so we will allow him to fast even on Shabbos and Yontav. However, normally, if you fast on Shabbos and Yontav, which you're not supposed to fast, and we're going to allow you to fast, the next day, 
you should fast to make up for fasting. So in other words, if you are going to fast on Shabbos because it bothers you so much, then in order to make up for fasting on a Shabbos and not eating and not enjoying the Shabbos, you're going to have to fast the following day. So we're saying, therefore, so a person who fasted a Cholom fast, Shabbos, which is in the month of Nisan. Now we were talking about the month of Nisan as sort of a semi-holiday, and we treat it in a special way, so we don't institute any fast days, we don't we uh, keep it like a holiday. So he says, but if you fasted on Shabbos, muter lisanus you are permitted to fast on the Sunday that follows almashis anabishabas for fasting on Shabbos. So in the month of Nisan, if you fasted on Shabbos, and technically you have to make it up, you could do it the next day, even though that in the month of Nisan we don't fast, because the prohibition against fasting in the month of Nisan is merely a tradition. And therefore, the halacha that one needs to fast on Sunday for fasting on the Shabbos overrides that tradition. So if you did fast for a, for a fast day, for a cholam on Shabbos, then you could go ahead and fast the Sunday that follows. And that would be true that not only is it the month of Nisan, even if it's Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So that if it was even let's say the first day of the month of Nisan, Rosh Chodesh, is on a Sunday. The Shabbos that preceded Rosh Chodesh, he fasted a Tainus Cholom. So when is his makeup day on Sunday that follows, which is also Rosh Chodesh? Muter leleshev betainis berushchodesh nisan. On rushchodesh nisan, he's allowed to stand alma sheisana b'shabbos for that that he fasted on Shabbos. Kameshikosu b'simadesh beches, as it says in Rosh Beches over there. Ein shomatam. Look the reason. And apparently, I'm going to say this again. It seems to me I have to look it up, but I'm talking out of just what my uh, my thought, my I'm thinking. If this would happen in any other month. Like, if he, Shabbos came before any other, uh, like in this month we had, uh, Sunday was Rosh Chodesh, right? So if the person fasted Shabbos before Rosh Chodesh, not Rosh Chodesh Nisan, then he cannot fast on Sunday, on Rosh Chodesh, you'll have to push it off for later on, because fasting on Rosh Chodesh would be something which is prohibited by halacha. But only Rosh Chodesh Nisan, because the two sons of Aaron died then, they were great tzaddikim, that's why there's different with Rosh Chodesh Nisan. I believe that that is the case. Yeah, go ahead. I guess one question or one comment. Question is, so why would someone need to fast on Shabbos? Okay, so we're talking about a fast of a dream. There is a certain dream, uh, when a person has in his dream, like he sees that something happening, Sefer is being burnt, things like that, uh, that, something, bad. something bad, and that is considered so disturbing to the person that if you don't allow him to fast, he's going to be in a lot of pain. He's going to be in a lot of uh, discomfort. So we're going to his pleasure of Shabbos is actually to fast. If you don't let him fast, he's going to be uh, very upset about it. Also, um, okay. So the comment is okay. So you fast on Shabbos, you fast on Sunday, and Monday you're in the hospital and you can't come to the show. I mean, this is not practical. <laughs> 
Okay, when we talk about a fast day, we're not talking about consecutive. That was a little talking to you. Okay, no, no, <laughs> we're not talking consecutive. He can, he can, he can, he can eat at nighttime, yeah. and the next fast day. So we're not talking about, uh, you know, we're better. You know, we're much better off than some of the other religions, in which they fast full months and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. you know, and there's other. I mean, there's other fasts. Some people fast like in the month of Elul. You know, there's there's various different traditions. Um, okay. But let's go on, enough with the fasting. We'll go on to section Yudbeis, uh, 12. He says like this, uh, This is a halacha which is actually different in our Nusach, in Nusach Sfar, versus the Nusach Ashkenaz, which verses it says over here. In our Siddur, uh, the way we have it, the way we do it in the real practical, is whenever we don't say the Tachanun, whenever we don't say Tachanun because of a holiday, like in this case it would be like the month of Nisan, that paragraph that comes after Ashrei, before Volet Sion, that's called Lam Natsayach Mizmar Ledovit. That talks about, just if you see the first word, it says, Ya'ancha Hashem Biyom Tzara. May God answer you in your day of distress, the day of your troubles. So on a, on a holiday, we don't want to talk about troubles. So we're not going to say that. But that is the actual minhag that we do, that we follow. There's also, on Monday and Thursday, if you noticed, after you finish this special piece of hurachum, the long piece that you add, that's the slichas basically from Monday and Thursday, you say a half a kaddish, and then you do the Torah reading. But before the Torah reading, I don't know if you noticed, there's a small piece which is called Kale Erechapayim. That's also, they were talking about, this is like the 13 attributes saying, God who prolongs his anger. Now, these pieces, he says over here, are not considered to be real Tachanun. Even if we don't say Tachanun, we're still going to say those pieces. But again, I'm cautioning you, that's not the tradition. So he says, in here he says, during the entire month, so over here, it's it's different. Uh, I guess it really depends on the level of the holiday, according to this tradition. Again, in our tradition, the Minak Svard is we never say, whenever we don't say Tachanun. But by this tradition, brother and the Shulchan Aruch, it depends what is the level of not saying Tachanun. The month of Nisan is not as a holiday not to say these passages. Do you see the passage right before Torah reading? Over there, Kehler Chapayim? See in the sitter? It's a little Kehler Chapayim, right? That's good. Now, if you look at the instruction over there, it says whenever you don't say Tachanun, you don't say that. Right. Right? But here it says, the month of Nisan, it says, you will say that. Yeah. Also, the one after Ashrei, page 66. You take a look there after Ashrei. Lam Natsach. Lam Natsach, David. Again, we don't say that. Whenever we don't say Tachanun, we don't say that. But Minak Svar does say it. I mean, in the, during the month of Nisan, they would say it. Now, that's what he says, Abu Bar of Pesach, but on the eve of Pesach, which is the 14th, 
that's like a real holiday already. So therefore, and then we don't say that, even according to this tradition. But again, it makes it easy for us. We don't have to remember the differences. We just don't say it at all. Now he says, Erev Pesach isn't the same like every Eve of Yontif. Eve of Yontif is not a holiday. So on Erev Yontif, you know, after Chatzos is a different story, but we're talking about in the morning before midday, it's a regular day. So if you Erev Shavuos, Erev Sukkos, Sukkos no, because Sukkos we don't say actually Tachanon starting from uh, Yom Kippur, but the holiday is really on Erev Pesach. It's a holiday by itself. Erev Pesach by itself is a Yom Tov. I mean, that's when they bread the Korban Pesach and in itself. And that's why we have, some people have traditions not to work, not to work a half a day, not to work a whole day. There's different minhagim, but that is considered to be a festive day by itself, as will be elaborated later on in Simitov Samachas. Just ask you a question. Sure. Related, but, so they do up in the Tachanum is it almost reminds me of a, um, you know, Yom Kippur Rosh Hashanah. That's what it is. You're dealing with... Um, confession. Confession. And right. And dealing with your sins and yeah, so forth. Yeah, exactly. And so it's interesting that it's done throughout the year. And That's right. And the miniature, yeah. But we don't do it when, we, when there's a holiday. We don't do it because we don't want to spoil the mood, basically. So the mood of the holiday... The only thing is, Yom Kippur, the holiday consists of... That's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. It's a holiday for forgiveness. That's why we are, we're doing it. That's why we have the confession over there. Um, now we're going to do another interesting halacha and halacha yud gimel. If you look in your sitter, keep your sitter open, right in the morning services, after we do the Baruch Shamar, um, in the morning services, after we do the Baruch Shamar, um, that's a little, just a little further, you turn the pages uh, after Hoda. Go continue a little bit, a little, little further. No, no, no. A little further. Okay, there. Uh, oh no, no Baruch Shamar. Oh yeah, no. I'm actually. Can I have the sitter for a second? I'll just give it to you. Show you where it is. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh no. Oh no, 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 no. You were, you were right. You were good. Here, we're talking about here on page uh, thirty. Take a look at page thirty. At the bottom, what's the prayer over there? Mizmar Letoda. That's a song of thanksgiving. The song of thanksgiving is basically giving Hashem thank you. Now, during the time of the temple, there were four specific situations where a person would say thank you. Now, take a look what it says in the instruction there. On Erev Pesach, you don't say it. So both, on Erev Pesach and the intermediate days of Pesach. We don't say Mizmar Lusada. Why? So, Cholamayid, we know for sure why. He says here, for the reason explained in Simonun Alev. The problem is the Toda, that sacrifice, which our prayer, when we pray, it's supposed to substitute for the real thing. So in this case, I mean, it's not, we're not doing an offering, but in the temple, when the temple was around, if a person needed to bring a thank you gift, he would bring a thank you gift, a korban. 
that carbon had special breads that came with it. Some of those breads are chametz. So on Cholamot Pesach, you can't bring it. But what about Erev Pesach? What about the Eve of Pesach? So here, there's already, it's not so simple. The Eve of Pesach, you can't have chametz starting from a half a day. So if you should technically, when you're davening in the morning, you could still have chametz. You know, we have certain hours that we don't have chametz. So why aren't we saying mizmor letoda in the morning? So that goes into a whole issue because you won't have enough time to finish eating it. You're cutting down in the time, a lot of time of eating the korban. So we don't bring the korban then, so we would not bring the korban. The bottom line is, the Alter Rebbe rules, this is not so simple over there, but the Alter Rebbe rules that we won't say mizmor letoda, not on chalamoed, and we're also not going to say it on on Erev Pesach because also because of the chametz that's in it and a half a day already you can't have chametz. And we don't say it Erev Yom Kippur because we're fat we're about to fast. Erev Yom Kippur we don't say it is because also for that same reason because you're going to be taking away that's a good question but I believe because I think you're going to be taking away from the time that you can eat it because technically you can eat it for a day and a night, and you won't be able to eat it. We don't want to cut short the korban, but that's part of the discussion in the commentators exactly. I'd have to look that up to give you the exact answer, but that's, that, that's part of the discussion over there. Okay, now, the, uh, sometimes, you know, in the olden days, we don't find it today, somebody didn't listen to the rabbis. Let's say they made a ruling. There's a court case or there's something. And somebody didn't listen to, the rabbis made a ruling. So what would the rabbis do? So they would place what they call a chedem. They would sort of excommunicate somebody because if he, they couldn't get him, somebody wouldn't give a divorce to his wife when he had to give it. And Or they'd have to look for means to try to force the person to do what's right. So what they would do is they put in a chedem. Now actually, people are careful not even to use the word chedem because it has such strong connotations, and they say, uh, they say abbreviation of the word or something like that. But again, during the month of Nisan, it's a holiday month, but it's only a tradition. If Beisden finds it necessary, it is okay, the month of Nisan. If Beisden, they need to put a cherem in the synagogue for some very important purpose, it is a very important matter, that they deem important. It's mutter b'chol chaydish nisan. You are permitted to do so on the month of Nisan. However, you are not afal pi she'osur b'tishrei mitam she'izbar b'simen tofresh beis. But you're not allowed to do it in the month of Tishrei because of the reason that was explained over there in the simen tofresh beis. I believe that the reason is over there without looking in. I believe that the reason is because it's a day of judgment. You don't want to bring judgment neither on the person or on the people. It's a very uh, charged day in which we're all being judged by Hashem. So we don't want to add to that. Now, it's like always one can say, you know, we, 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 we say that certain times are not, uh, are not appropriate for certain things, but we always know to defend the poor or to take out money from somebody who has robbed it I mean, you do it at any time. There's no such thing as an auspicious time. You've got to protect somebody. But I guess it, there are certain considerations which override. So this is uh, 
something which could be done if necessary in the month of Nisan, but cannot be done in the month of Tishrei. Now, another very important tradition in Siv Tezvom. Can I go back to that? Sure, what? Yeah. So, under what circumstances would something that, which obviously doesn't happen very much now, but under what circumstances would you do? When, 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 you know, it, I don't know if you're following the uh, law, but there's some rabbis that got into a lot, a lot of trouble. I don't know if you heard in about Israel it. Or? No, no, here in, in Brooklyn, New Jersey, Muncie. Um, they're going to be sentenced. They may spend, you know, many years in jails. I mean, we don't know. Because they were like this vigilante group who, uh, you know, who beat up husbands that didn't want to give their wives a get. You know, so they, you know, they, you know, vigilante kind of justice, and uh, and you know, of course, they thought they're doing a mitzvah, and you know, in some, and it it is a very um, uh, important issue that the rabbis are tackling, which you have men who don't want to give their wives uh, a divorce, and they trying to disrupt their lives and hold back again. That is something terrible, but yet, you know, the certain means the way they want to do it is are not so you're asking me like in what case i mean i i can't answer you that uh but i know that even here it says for a great need it has to be extreme for a person basically the way it works if a person doesn't want to follow the based in so based in would put a against him that would mean a a, a person who refuses to uh come to based in or to go to the law but it have to deteriorate. There, there are many steps before a person will come to the level that they put out harem uh, <coughs> against them. I know in Israel they imprison you now. They're putting in more and more laws to to protect the women. So they would imprison them. You know, some husbands spend many years and they still won't. They're so stubborn that they still won't do it. So it's you know you got a lot of lunatics out there. So <laughs> unfortunately, but uh, they come in all sizes, stripes, and all uh, and all persuasions. Okay. So anyways. But I'll give you this just one example, okay. you know, but there could be many others. Now, another extra prayer that we do, if you see in the sitter, there is a special uh, section that we, we do in the month of Nisa. We don't read it from the Torah. Actually, there's some that do. But by us, we don't read it from the Torah. We actually read it in the sitter. Uh, during the month of Nisan, uh, we do the Nasi. The Nasi means that the, when they built first the Mishkan, each Nasi, the leader of the tribe, brought a gift to the temple. That was the first inauguration. And each day of the 12 days they did it, and we read each day of the month for the Nasi for that day. So we're saying here that uh, it's custom from Rishchodesh Anan, Likris Parshas Hanasi, to read the portion of the Nasi, Shehikri Bayoim, that did in that day. Now, over here it doesn't say, there's also a little prayer after that. It's a very nice prayer. It says, well, we don't really know exactly. I mean, you're a Levi, so a Levi knows where they come from. So you know you come from the tribe of Levi. And my father's but, oh, a Levi. Okay. So, yeah. But the question is, a lot of times, even the Levis, and this is interesting for you to know, in the prayer you sort of say, if I am from this tribe, may all the... Uh, energies and may all these beautiful blessings of this particular tribe rest upon me. So, it's the instruction is, and we find that Rebbe Rimzin Yom Yom, that even somebody who's a Levi and a Kohen 
will still say, if I am from that tribe. Now, you would say, well, I know from what tribe I am. Why? When I'm reading the tribe of Yehuda, say, why will I be saying, if I'm from the tribe of Yehuda? I know I'm not from the tribe of Yehuda. Because on a spiritual level, sometimes the uh, spirituality from one tribe, even if physically you may be from this tribe, you know, they may cross and they may have different, uh, uh, different energies. So you want to include yourself and still say, for whatever possibility. Uh, but certainly for people who are not Kohanim or Levim, we don't really know which tribes we are. And even though sometimes we have traditions, but we don't know for sure which tribe we are. So at the end of each Nasi, we have in the Siddur, there's also a prayer in which you say that, if I am from that Nasi. So over here he mentions in, 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 in Sif Tazvav that Nogim Rosh Chodesh Ve'elech, that starting from Rosh Chodesh, Nisan, which is the first day of Nisan, and on, Likris Parshish HaNasi Shehichri Be'bayoyim, to read this section of the tribe that brought the offering that day, because they were bringing it the first day, one tribe, the second day. Each tribe, we read that section. And what do we do on the 13th day? There's only 12 tribes that brought there. We do the Parshas Bahaloischa. We do the section of Bahaloischa, which is basically at Shevet Levi. That corresponds to Shevet Levi. This talks about Aaron's job in the Mishkan to light, to kindle the menorahs. And that basically, the tribe of Levi, uh, Aaron being its leader, Aaron was the leader of the tribe of Levi, they didn't get to bring uh, a special offering. They weren't commanded. They didn't bring that special gift. Aaron felt bad, it says, Rashi says right in the beginning, Aaron felt bad. He says, how come every tribe got to bring for the dedication? How come I didn't get? So Hashem says to him, don't worry. Your job is greater than theirs. And Hashem says, you get to kindle the menorah. And therefore, the kindling of the menorah, that section, corresponds to the tribe of Levi, which is not the Korban. That's why we read that on the, uh, on the 13th day. Now, we don't only read that. Actually, we read from the end of the... Um, from, from the end of the 13th, I believe, from the end of the 13th day. I'm not sure. Um, um, let's see. So it's uh, on the... On the 13th of Nisan, we start with Zois Chanukas Hamizbeach. And uh, over there, which gives you the total uh, of all the days. What we do is actually we say from the end of the, uh, uh, from the, end of the 12th, so we say Zois Chanukas Hamizbeach, and then we go to the end, and then we do Kenos HaMenorah. But on, on Hanukkah, we also read from the Torah, but we read only eight. But on the eighth day, we do the eighth. We read through all the way till the end, also till Kenos HaMenorah, till the portion of Baaloscha. Yeah. Now, uh, on Halacha Tezayin, it says that on Erev Pesach, in the morning, we daven early. Erev Pesach, we daven early. We get early to the synagogue, and the reason is so that in order that he should be able to finish the meal before the fourth hour. You have to finish your meal before the fourth hour, because even though chametz is permitted to eat up till 
uh, midday, the Chachamim wanted you to have two hours before. So there is four hours, four hours over here are seasonal hours, which means you take the day, you break it into 12, and then you just uh, take one-third of whatever it comes out, because four, eight, twelve. So each hour is, is measured. That's okay, we have the calendar already. Basically, you have to finish eating in time to meet that, so, so that you finish the, 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 the chametz, because you can't eat chametz after that you can't eat. So I insert of Megimel. Now, uh, so this is going to be talking now something which takes place after the holiday. So even though, um, even though uh, we're talking about the month of Nisan, the beginning, but we're talking about all the extra loose days, which which are not really yontif, because from this point on, we're going to talk about special days within the month of Nisan. Now we're covering all the sort of the loose days. So now there's also something special about the day that follows Pesach. Here we're talking about all the month. There's something special. And what he says over here in section Yud Zayin, it says, Kol ha'oise iser. Anybody who makes an iser. Iser in this case means tying down. Pirush aguda. If you tie down lechag, like we say in the Hallel, you say, Isru Chag Ba'avoisim. You're tying down the holiday with ropes. What does it mean you tie down the holiday? How do you tie down the holiday? That means the Ba'achila Ushtia, by eating and drinking. Which means, the Haina, what it means, Shemar Bechtzaz Ba'achila Ushtia B'yoyim Chag. If you increase a little bit to eat and drink the day that follows the holiday, that means... Here you had a whole holiday, and you celebrated, you ate, and you drank. Now you're, you are tying it because you're continuing the holiday. You make it secondary to the holiday, which means it's also a part of a holiday. You, you, you're dragging it into the holiday. It's not just an ordinary day. It becomes a connected to the holiday. How is it connected? Because you continue to eat and drink. So, Milo Olova Kosuv Ki'ilu Torah considers as if you built a altar, carbon, you brought a carbon. So doing that is considered that. I said before avoisim means ropes, but avoisim here actually is translated. Shenemar it says, but isru chag What avoisim means actually the animals are called fat, uh, thick. Pirush behemus avis It means thick and uh, fatty. Animals, which are what we bring on the carbon. So Isru Chag Ba'avoisim. It seems like Ba'avoisim is not you're tying down the Chag by eating and drinking. So then, I mean, literally, simply, you would translate it Isru Chag Ba'avoisim. You should tie the festival down with the fatty uh, animal. Here it seems like. Isru Chag, you're tying down the holiday, so then it's Ba'avoisim at Karnas HaMizbech, it says, if you are uh, bringing uh, fatty, good animals up to the corners of the Mizbech, meaning to the uh, altar. So basically, we know that if you eat and drink after the uh, fast, that's what we call the Isru Chag, they call it the day after Yontav is called Isru Chag, uh, and that would really, we'll see soon, should apply to all holidays, because it's not only about Pesach, 
but he's telling you the day after Pesach is considered Yisru Chag. Therefore, the tradition in our custom, our in our communities, in our countries is that we increase a little bit eating and drinking on the day that follows the Yom Tov. So we do a little extra. This is done in all the three holidays, which is Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot. And therefore, the mis anin afilu chosun v'kala b'yom chupasam. Even a chosun kala on the day of the chupa don't fast. So even though that before we learned that by a chosun kala b'yom chupasam will fast on the month of Nisan, but they don't fast on the day that follows, which is Isru Chag, uh, and also. And also, a fast for one's father and mother, uh, we don't fast on that day. Now, that we learn, we don't do on, uh, on uh, before we learned that uh, on the fast, we don't do all month. Anyways, we learn. But here, I guess, in addition to that, being Yisru Chag, we don't do that also. See, Chos and Kala are allowed to in the month of Nisan, but they're not allowed in Yisru Chag. But on a yard site, he says, uh, we don't fast also, but we don't do that even in the whole month of Nisan as well. As written in Tovkuf Ayin Gimel, in Tovkuf Ayin Gimel. Now, the Easter said this prohibition, it's only a tradition, but from strictly from the law, there is no prohibition to fast in that day. We'll be done. One was done. One? Yeah. But one who uh, doesn't uh, fast is praiseworthy as explained. Meaning, there's no halachic prohibition, but not to fast is praiseworthy, is to follow the minag of not to fast. Halacha yudches, if yudches, 18. Bamedvorim amurim, this allowance that we're saying that you don't have to, it's praiseworthy, it's a minag, that only applies to biyoim, shalachar, hapesach vishalachar sukkas. After pesach and sukkas, it's merely a tradition. But the day that follows Shavuos, that is prohibited from the halacha. You're not allowed to fast over there from halacha. For the reason explained in Sof Tzadik Dalet, over there in Sif Yutes, the Alter Rebbe explains that it was called a Yom Tavuach. Everybody brought the Korbanus because in Shavuos, remember, there was only one day. So people had sacrifices that they had to bring in the temple, and they couldn't bring it all. On Pesach and on Sukkot, they had eight days, seven days, eight days, so they had time to bring the Korbanus. So everybody would bring the Korbanus on that, and there was actually a question whether some Korbanus were allowed to be brought on Yom Tov, they had to bring them later. So it was a special holiday, it was Yom Tovach, and therefore we don't see Tachna. Finally, the last Sif, uh, Sif Yutes. This is an interesting halacha, which 
not that many people, uh, I don't know, practice or see the practice, but he says like this, Yesh they were from the great teachers, the great codifiers, the instructors, who who instituted this custom to the people of his generation. He's almost saying to you, this is what they did over there. In other words, I'm not telling you it's a custom or you should do it. This was what the tradition they instituted, and yet he's telling you about it, meaning that he's, say, he's repeating it to you to tell you the value of this. So you mafrishim at kemach, they should separate a little of the flour, mina kemach shenitchan lepesach, from the flour that has been grinded for Pesach, especially flour which was watched and kept so that it should not lechomes. Viyasemimenu pasi tavshil, and they would make either a bread or something cooked from that flour, kneilach, or whatever it is. Viyechlu koydem ha-Pesach, and they eat it for the Pesach. So they would take some of the flour and they eat it for Pesach. And the toiv litin lanim shechlu koydem ha-Pesach. And it's proper to give it to poor people to eat for Pesach. Why did they do this? What's the reason for this? Why did they do this? So he says like this, v'tam minak zehu. What is the reason for this custom? Even if there should be some minor suspicion about the flower. We don't know, we don't know anything. But let's say there's some, maybe there's something wrong. In this flower. So then we can hang and say, that that worry of chametz wasn't a little bit. So if somebody will come up and say, maybe there was a problem over there, that problem has been taken away. That has been eaten before Pesach. Uh, as written in Simen Tov Nun Gimel in Tov Samach Vov, the Sif Yud Beis, and Tov Samach Vov, Sif, at the end of Sif Yud. This idea that if you take something off and you can say, okay, if there's a problem there, it went over there, but what's here is left over. So he says like this, nevertheless, this tradition it brings down from the Magen Avrami. He says it's merely a stringency. Because legally speaking, from halachically, we don't suppose that there's something wrong. Why should we suspect that there is any chama? We don't have to worry about that. Maybe there is one drop of some chametz. We don't have to worry about that. That's not something that we need to take into account. And therefore, um, there is not uh, necessary, it's only a chumrah stringency. I haven't seen this practice, I'm not sure. But I have seen, well, we don't grind any flour. I'm not sure what the grinding things do. If they, if they have so much tradition like that, I'm not sure. But we don't, I mean, we don't, we don't, I haven't seen that, that practice. So I guess... the pride in the groom... Um, and fasting. Yes. When would they be getting married? If we're talking about right after Pesach, well, on, the, on fasting, the day after Pesach, why, why not? Oh, I thought between Pesach and Shabbos you get married just on Lag Ba'omer. Oh, that's another good question, but um, that is also uh, by tradition. That wouldn't mean that cannot have a uh, cannot have a wedding over there. And there are circumstances. Uh, some people actually only start from 
from after Rosh Chodesh. Some people will make a special allowance because it's the day after after uh, Pesach, so they will make an allowance for the marriage. But that, but that's a very good question. For practical purposes, it probably you don't make a wedding anyways yeah. till till like Bomer or till after Shavuos. Yeah. And again, it depends on various traditions. But there are traditions that make so it would not be a, 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 a prohibition against that. But that's that's a good observation. Yeah.